We're going to study tonight a tshuva, a very strange tshuva, surely one of the strangest cases discussed in the response to literature. And what's particularly interesting is that there are actually not one, but at least at least three separate tshuvas on this question, despite the bizarreness of the question. Again, bizarre from our perspective, not apparently that bizarre if you lived 500 years ago. The question, not to put too fine a point on it, is whether it is permitted to eat mummies. Are you allowed to eat a mummy? You go and raid a tomb somewhere, you haul up a mummy, are you allowed to eat the mummy? That's one of the questions, there are several related questions. Are you allowed to derive benefit from the mummy? Are you allowed to engage in commerce in mummies? We're not dealing with uh, laws about protecting antiquities, we're dealing with uh, halacha, halacha, and the question of the law is a separate question, obviously. Are you allowed to eat mummies? Are you allowed to derive benefit from mummies? Are you allowed to trade, buy and sell mummies? Why would anybody be interested? Well, certainly I know why people would want to do business in mummies. Uh, raiding tombs can be quite a lucrative affair. But why would you want to eat a mummy? So the answer is, again, that no one today, or I should never say no one, but people today generally will not want to eat mummies, will have little interest in such behavior. This was apparently all the rage for centuries, for about 500 years, from the medieval period until the 18th century or so. Eating mummies was a very popular thing to do. It was believed to have significant therapeutic benefit. Mummy medicine, corpse medicine in general, mummy medicine in particular, was believed to be uh, a very salubrious thing to do. And Jews, as uh, V.S. Kristelsach, Yidelsach, I guess, what the non-Jews do, uh, you know, the Jews do as well. And for many centuries, it was believed that the consumption of mummies was good for your health. So the question then becomes, of course, for a Jew, the question becomes halacha. Is it permitted to, is it permitted to, uh, to eat a mummy? Uh, there, are, there are some obvious issues involved. There are, ob- there are some obvious reasons why you might not be. A mummy is a human being. So eating people is absurd, even if they're dead. There, there's an isser in the consumption of people. Moreover, as we'll see, a mace is asr bahana. You not only derive benefit from mesim. So there, these various questions were discussed by the poskim whether it is permitted to eat mummies. You can actually read, now that we have the power of the internet, you can actually read, I included a few pages of learned, learned historical and scientific discussion on the history of eating mummies. It's apparently a widely discussed topic. Why, uh, what, <coughs> how the belief may have arisen that the, how the belief may have, may have arisen that eating mummies was good for you. But uh, there's ample documentation that eating mummies was, was widely believed to be healthy. And so, of course, the post can have to discuss this. Post can have to discuss this uh, whether mummies are whether mummies are are permitted al pialacha. Incidentally, for my for my mother and for and for Jason, I will note that uh, one of the one of the classic books on this topic is a, a modern work called Medicinal Cannibalism in Early Modern English Literature and Culture, where the author the author uh, Louise Noble. She she quotes various uh, poems by major Englishmen who. Uh, Use mummy to mean something medicinal and good for you. John Donne writes, Women are not only sweetness and wit, but mummy possessed. There are words or references to mummy in Othello and in Spencer's The Fairy Queen and 
and all over the place because mummies were believed, uh, mummies were an important medicinal ingredient, so mummies were, again, this testifies to the widespread adoption of the practice of eating mummies. So without further ado, we will consider a tshuva of the Radvaz about eating mummies. There are other tshuvas also. We'll see what we get to. So the three tshuvas I came across on the consumption of mummies, the most famous one is that of the Radvaz, Rabbi David Ibn Zimra. Appropriately enough, he was an Egyptian posik. He lived in Egypt for much, most of his life in the 16th century, one of the towering figures of 16th century Svardik Halacha. The other two tshuvas are also Svardim. One is by, one is by, one is in the Sefer Ginas Vradim, discusses the same questions as the Radvaz. He eventually brings the Radvaz and critiques it. And the third tshuva is in the 17th century in, in the Mishnah Melech. The Mishnah Melech is not primarily a tshuva Sefer, it's a commentary on the Rambam, but, he, but included, in, the Mishnah Melech was actually uh, cobbled together by, by his sons or students, of various writings of his, they include tshuvas, and he also includes a very, very long tshuva in three separate places, parts of it in three separate places in the Mishnah Melech. He also discusses the issue that the Radvaz does at great length, that uh, very, very, very long discussions. We'll, we'll read first the tshuva of the Radvaz, it's the shortest of the three and the earliest of the three, and he, uh, he broaches the discussion of the major issues here. Radvaz says, Sha'altamimeni odiyacha daiti, that is a standard formula. The Radvaz begins many, most, virtually all of his tshuvas. You have asked me, you have asked me to inform you of my opinion. It was the Minog people, Jewish people, pious, God-fearing Jewish people used to consume mummies. Mumia is the word they all use for mummy. The, they, they, they heal themselves. They perform some kind of medicine using flesh of cadavers called mummy. In, in the She'ela, he doesn't describe exactly how they used it. In the Tshuva, he, he makes it clear they used to eat it, they used to do other things with it, but they used to use it for purposes of sakana. Certainly you can use it if it's a matter of life and death, but even if it's a case where life is not at stake, a person's not in mortal danger, they, they didn't use it just because it tasted good, but they used it for refuah, even shlobam makam sakana. Ela Shem Bo, they do business with it, they trade in it, they buy and sell it. Venosin Venosin Bo, Umeisuri Hana, human remains are Asr Bahana, the Kaimlund Besar Hamais, Asr Bahana. The Xiva Tamasha Miriam, the Gemara has a drasha. We learn Miriam, Xerishava, Sham, Sham from Eglarufa, the Eglarufa is Asr Bahana, a human being like Miriam who passes away is Asr Bahana. And so that was the question posed to the Radvaz. Minan Ka'olam is to use mummies for refua. It's a violation of the Isr Hana, and, it's, and, you, and you should not be allowed to do business with it. Says the Radvaz. So again, there, there are three distinct questions that are discussed by all the postkim who discuss medicinal mummy use. The three questions are, can you eat the mummy? Number one, is it kosher? Second question, is it mutter bahana? Are you allowed to derive benefit from a mummy? Third question, there is an isr of schorah bedvarim ha'asurim, doing business with substances that are oster to eat, that, that, that are oster, that's even if it's not, even, even if it's not an isr hana, like you can't do business with pork. You can't have a business importing and exporting pork, because pork is, pork is oster. You can't do schorah bedvarim ha'asurim. That's separate from the isr hana. So, these are the three questions that everyone discusses, that the various chubas all discuss. So the Radvaz says, one question at a time. Isr achila. The prohibition to eat, to eat human flesh. So maybe you can't eat a mummy. Lohutzrachta lishal. 
That's an easy question. We can dispense with that very easy, very easily. There is no prohibition in eating a mummy in terms of the Isra Achila. Why? The Vadai Mutter Ba'achila. The Isra Achila does not apply. It is Asr to eat human remains, but that Isra does not apply to mummies. Why not? A mummy is no longer considered human flesh. It has been transformed. Now it's considered just dirt. It's biological dirt. It originated in human flesh, but it is no longer considered human flesh after it's been mummified and hundreds and thousands of years have passed. Therefore, it's not considered food anymore. And the Isra Achila, the Isra of consuming humans in this case, cannibalism does not apply. The Kolshkein Aide Salmon. Certainly because it's not human flesh on its own anymore. Why? What is the mummy? The word mummy had begun to mean different things in Europe, apparently. It, uh, it, 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 it didn't even always mean what we call mummy anymore, but that was, that was at least how it had originated. But the Radvaz knows exactly what it is. He lives in Egypt. He says the, a mummy is Basar HaKanutin, it is flesh that has been embalmed. They embalm it using various preparations, various chemicals. In order to preserve its form, but by doing all that, it becomes so transformed, what was originally human flesh becomes entirely transformed. Now it's just like pitch. It is no longer Asr Ba'achila. Kasher Kasafti Al Inyan Hamask, he says, Veha Theriak. The same halacha he's written elsewhere applies to musk and theriac. These are both questions which these are both topics that are also discussed by other poskim. Musk is the secretion of a non-kosher animal. Musk comes from uh, when when you Google musk these days, half the half the hits are to Elon Musk, and the other half the other half are to Musk. Musk is a class of aromatic substances, according to Wikipedia commonly used as base notes in perfumery. They include glandular secretions from animals such as the musk deer, and so on. So musk comes from animals. The question is, does it really, does it really, does it really have the halacha of, uh, of animals? Are there kashrus problems with the musk if it's not shechted? So, uh, what, so, so, so what's the status of musk? So the Radvaz says, so this is already a machlok as Rishonim. This is already a discussion of the Rishonim. Some say musk is, musk is oster, it's a question of blood. And others say that musk is pirsha ba'alma. Musk is not a foodstuff. Musk is, musk is, just, uh, is just non-food. Like there are other parts of animals that are not considered food, that are just considered uh, minerals, basically. It's, it's, even, though it, even though it's organic and it comes from an animal, it's not, it's not food, so it doesn't have the suri achila. Theriac is an interesting question. I have to say I'd never really heard of it before. According to Wikipedia, theriac is a medical concoction originally formulated by the Greeks in the first century. It's an antidote. It, uh, how do you make it exactly? It comes from, it comes from all, kinds of, uh, all kinds of stuff. The Wikipedia actually quotes the Ramban. I didn't have a chance to look it up, but the ingredients of Theriac are leaven, honey, flesh of wild beasts and reptiles, dried scorpion, and viper. Doesn't sound so wholesome by modern, uh, modern standards, but this was a highly prized ingredient. And not only that, ironically enough, in medieval times, some people at least believed that theriac contained ground mummy. Why are we not surprised? But the theriac, but anyway, the, the bottom line is that theriac was, the, the reason apparently it contained dried viper is because it was a uh, homeopathic style remedy. They, the principle of the hair of the dog, they believed that 
a preparation containing some of the bad stuff, some of the poison, when prepared properly, could actually be an antidote. So theriac also has animal products. So the Radvaz says that both with regard to musk and theriac, they are not Asr Bachila because they have been transformed from foodstuffs into just medicine, chemicals. They're, they're no longer edible, that they're no longer real food. So too, the, the, the Radvaz says with regard to mummies themselves, there is no Isra Achila of mummies because they have been transformed, they are no longer food, and therefore it's like eating Afar Baalma, so there is no prohibition in eating a mummy. So the most interesting of the three questions, the Radvaz finds halachically the most straightforward. He says there's nothing to talk about, there is, uh, it, it, it is absolutely mutter, and, there, and, 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 and there's nothing to worry about. The... Yes? Can I ask a question? Sure. So that's a very good question. I, 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 actually, uh, I actually oversimplified before. There are actually four questions the Post can discuss. The three I mentioned before, Isra Achila, Isra Hanav, and Isra Shara. Those I was actually counting as two. The, the, I really meant Achila is one, and Hana and Shara is two. The third question actually is Kohanim. The, the Mishlam Melech discusses the question at great length, whether a... Uh, Mishlam Melech discusses this question at great length, whether there's an Isra of Tumah for Kohanim in handling mummies. The... Mishlamelech, that's how he begins his discussion. Nishalti al hamumia, shemochrin a kohanim. Kohanim would be involved in trading in mummies. Is that okay or not? So he begins by saying a similar point. He begins by saying, shamati the mumia halazu. It has no flesh, it just has bones and skin, and they're all dried out, and they have no moisture, they, they have no flesh like quality. So, and, and he discusses whether they're, they're so dry that they're crumbly, and they said, and they said no, they're not crumbly, they're, they're hard, but you can, you can break them. So he goes on and he, he discusses at great length whether, whether, they're, they, they, whether they would or would not uh, convey Tumah to a coin. He has a very lengthy discussion at this point. His bottom line is, I did not uh, reproduce the entire tshuva but he, of any of his three sections, but his bottom line is, It is certainly usher to handle for a coin, to handle mummies. But kol koin amachmer alav, tava bracha, tava berchasatov. He strongly recommends Kohanim not handle mummies. Now again, the, the rules of Tumah, when something, when something is still considered food-like enough, or uh, you know, liquidy enough, or moist enough to retain the, the, the status of Tumah, and how that relates to the standards you need for Isra Achila, the, these are complicated halachas. The, 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 the rules for each one are not, not dependent on each other. So you can definitely have a case where it, where it might be mutter to eat, but still, but, but still have Tumah. So, but, but yes, the, the, the similar, arguments do, similar arguments are made with regard to Tumah, but uh, the Mishlam Melech, at least, his position is that it is Matame, that it is Matame, the Radvaz himself does not discuss Tumah, he only discusses the other two or three prohibitions, the prohibition of Achila, the prohibition of Hana, and the question of, and, 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 the, and the prohibition of Hana and Schar. Now, okay, thank you. And so the, the Ginas Vradim brings the Tshuva and the Radvaz. After he discusses mummies for a while, he actually, see, he brings the Tshuva and the Radvaz. And he is not happy at all with the, with the Radvaz's easy dismissal of the possible prohibition of eating mummies. He says, uh, with all due respect to the Radvaz, in Meshivan Asari, Dasha Bachayim Arta, he says that uh, the Radvaz is such a great Talmud Chacham. However, it's Torah. 
like a student who, uh, who speaks before his master, I'm going to try to, uh, I'm going to, try to explain what, what I think and how I understand it. He says the Radvaz, the Radvaz is allowing the consumption of mummies because of two arguments. He says, first of all, because we have the other chemicals that are mixed in, and it's, uh, that, that, that's going to be a future part of the Radvaz, we'll, we'll see that soon. And, and then, so actually, we'll, we'll return to this soon after we see a little bit more of the Radvaz. This is what the Radvaz says about Achila. Achila, he thinks, is an open and shut case. There is, there is no prohibition. What about Isr Hana? He says, when it comes to Isr Hana, the Isr of deriving benefit from a mace, so that reason would not be sufficient. He says, because we find, we had in Dafyomi a little while back, a month or two ago, we had with, uh, with regard to Chametz, that Chametz, if you burn the Chametz before the Zmani Suro, that's Mutter. But if you burn Chametz Lachar Zmani Suro, the Isr Hana doesn't, uh, doesn't depart. The coals are, the, the coals are still Aser. Kaimalan Kalanik Varin, Afran Aser Bahana. Something that doesn't have a din to burn it, and it's Aser Bahana, and you burn, and you burn it, it's, it's still Aser Bahana. So, so the fact that it's been transformed and it's no longer food like and edible, that doesn't take away the din of Isra Hana. So even though that's sufficient to remove the Isra Achila, that does not take away the Isra Hana. So, what's the heter of the Isra Hana? Says the Radvaz, Lafikach Nerali. So why is there a heter? What happened to the Isra Hana? We're not dealing with Sakanas Nefashis. Says the Radvaz, again, going back to Sugis and Psachim, There's a major dispensation when it comes to the prohibition of Isra Hana that if you utilize something then it's mutter. It's not always mutter entirely. For a, for a healthy person, it's not always mutter. But for a chola, we are, we, we, it is relatively easy to permit something that's asr, ba'achila, or bahana. if you take it, this is the hefter we say when we take pills and medicine, instead of a person sick, he's allowed to take different types of medicines, even if they contain non-kosher ingredients, because you don't eat a pill like food, you swallow it, that's called shalokaderachana also, the pill doesn't taste good, it does, it, we're not talking about chewable tablets that are sweet, or syrups, or stuff like that, but pills that are bitter and they don't taste good at all, and you just swallow them, you try not to taste them. If you ever crack one of those pills open and the stuff gets all over your tongue, it's uh, pretty unpleasant usually. So the, that's called Shaloka Derech, Shaloka Derech Hana, and that's mutter. That's mutter, certainly it's mutter for an Isra Achila, it's even mutter, at least in some cases, uh, Isra Hana, the Radvaz is telling us. So therefore the Radvaz says, since, it is shalo, since the particular way you're using this mummy is Shaloka Derech Hana, so... Salomi Bai Lasis Menotachboshes, to make a poultice, to make some kind of ointment that you put on yourself. Certainly that's called Shaloka Derachana. So, but more than that, the Radvaz says, even if you eat it, you can eat the mummy, you can drink the mummy, that is all Shaloka Derachana. So, why is that called Shaloka Derachana? So, he gives, he says two things. He says, because you're not eating the mummy straight up. You're not eating it, drinking it neat. You are mixing in, uh, you're mixing in other types of ingredients to, 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 to go along with it. The, the people who made the mummy are mixing in other ingredients. They're all then bombing chemicals. The Adirabba. So now the Radvaz explains to you a little bit the, the nature of the therapeutic benefits of mummies. It's not actually the flesh that provides therapeutic benefits. Um, they, uh, that, that you're not actually being nana from the, from the flesh itself. The real, the real benefit comes from the chemicals they put into it. Teda, I'll prove it to you, the Radvaz says. If you eat ordinary cadavers, 
you don't have the therapeutic benefits. It only comes, actually, according to the various articles I saw, Europeans began to think that maybe eating any kind of cadaver would be good for you. But in the Radvaz's time, at least, the way he understood it, it is only mummies that are good for you, not general cadavers. And therefore, the Radvaz says, you see that it is not the, the buster of the mace itself that's good for you. It's the, what you really want is the embalming chemicals. Some of the articles say that there was something called bitumen, which was really, that was the thing that was believed to be beneficial. It, it was believed that the embalmers put that in their mummies, and it was really, mummies were just a way of getting a hold of that valuable bitumen stuff. But whatever it is, the Radvaz understands also that the benefit of mummies, such as there is, comes from the embalming chemicals, not from the cadavers themselves, not from the, the human flesh of the mummy itself. And therefore, because of these, these reasons, that it's considered shaloka derech also, and it's uh, not the flesh itself, it's the benefit is really from the sam, that's why it is mutter. And this is what the Ginez Vrajim I started mentioning before, this is what he does not like. He says, Tarvayu tami prichi. These two reasons, he says, first of all, it's, uh, it's a taruvis that's called shaloka derech also, and also he says the hana is not really from the flesh, it's from the salmon. The Radvaz says that those are two reasons why the, the Isra Hana doesn't apply here. Says again as Radim that both of these reasons are not correct, he says, because Taruvis, he says, you, if you improve something with Taruvis, that, that, if you improve something by adding ingredients that, that make it uh, more useful and more effective, he says, that, that doesn't render it Shloka Derech Hanasa. Shloka Derech Hanasa is something that makes it taste worse, it makes it bitter, it's not edible, he says, but, it, but it, I don't know if the mummy was exactly edible to begin with, he says, but certainly if, if the flesh was being improved by embalming chemicals, again, the fact that it's improved in a medicinal sense, I don't know if it's improved in a uh, taste sense, but anyway, the, anyway, the Guinness Vradim says that embalming chemicals are not considered, embalming chemicals are not considered Shloka Derech Hanasa, he says that, he says, also, that only applies if you mix in Dvarim Shapogmimoso, you mix in, like in the Gemara's case, you mix in things that make it taste worse, that, uh, that, that, that make it uh, more difficult to eat, he says, but Benidundi done, since the Samim, uh, they don't make the butter taste worse, on the contrary, they improve it. Again, I don't know if they improve the taste exactly, I can't imagine embalming fluid tastes very good, but that what they improve is the durability, they improve the, the stability of the flesh, uh, somehow the Ginez Radim says that that's not called Shloka Derech and he says that is called Kederech and therefore he doesn't think the Radvaz is correct in calling the Shloka Derech The second argument to the Radvaz, he says, that the, that the real benefit comes from the embalming chemicals, not from the flesh itself, he says, that, um, he says, even though it's true that there's great benefit from those chemicals, but there's also some benefit from the limbs of the person itself. He says he feels there is benefit from the from the from the human flesh itself. Again, a lot of the benefit comes from the chemicals, and that's why we don't just use any human flesh. But there is some benefit, he says, from the from the human flesh itself, and he goes on to prove that. So he doesn't he doesn't agree with either of these two reasons of the Radvaz. The first reason he thinks is wrong as a matter of halacha, adding in chemicals doesn't make it shloka derech the second reason of the Radvaz, that the real Hana is from the chemicals, not from the flesh, he says, as a matter of fact, he says, there is Hana from the flesh as well, and therefore he does not consider that Shaloka Dera Hanasa. Getting back to the Radvaz, though, continuing his analysis, the Radvaz says that the Iker here is the chemicals, and, it, and the flesh is Shaloka Dera Hanasa, and he says, and the source for these types of arguments is from the Gemara. The Gemara talks about a case, the Gemara says uh, that Ravina was using, uh, Ravina was using unripe olives, Goharki of Arla, 
to, uh, to rub his daughter as some kind of uh, topical, uh, topical preparation. So Marbravashi asked him, he says, Sakana, I understand you can use Arla, but Napish, Napish asks Sakana, how are you allowed to use Arla? Arla's Asr Bahana. So the Gemara brings two tarots in. One tarot is that there actually was Sakana here, that there actually was a, uh, his daughter had some kind of fever and it was a dangerous fever. So it is Shastakana, Ikadamri, it's Nakadarachana. He answered that the oil would be, you know, you, the way you use olives is you wait till they become ripe and you use the oil in a normal fashion. This type of thing of using the olives to rub on flesh when they're not, to rub on a human when they're not ripe yet, that's considered Shloka Derachana. Also, says the Radvaz, and the, in particular, the way, the way at least, the way at least some posts can understand it, it's because of the psolas mur of Hashem, and it's because the oil still has bits of uh, refuse in the oil that makes it shloka derachan. Also, certainly here, the sam that's mixed into the the besar hamais, the embalming chemicals mixed into the human flesh, renders its consumption shloka derachan. Also, and more than that, the sam is the ikar, and we paskin. He says kali surin Again, it's a lengthy sugyan sachim. But we pass in that all prohibitions of the Torah, the prohibition, the Malchus at least, that the real Isser is only Kedarech Asan, except for a couple of exceptions, Kileah Kerem, Kilayim of wheat and, of wheat and grapes, and Basar Bechalov. Basar Bechalov, the, the prohibition, the Malchus is even Shlok Kedarech but, but And those, Taka, you can't use for Rafua, even Shlok Kedarech unless there is Pikuach Nefesh. However, Bishari Sur and Kulu, when it comes to other types of prohibitions, that whenever it's Shloka Derechan Asan, it's still Asr, but, it, but there's no Malchus, it's only Asr Medrabanan. So you're allowed to use them for medicinal purposes. You're allowed to use them for Rafua, even Shloba Machim Sakana, you're allowed to use it. So the mummy with the Radvaz argues that this consumption is Shloka Derechan Asan, and therefore, as long as there's some level of Choli, uh, even if it's not Choli Sheesh Prasakana, you're allowed to use it. Again, so the Radvaz wouldn't be Matir eating a mummy because you like it for thrills, he wouldn't, be, he wouldn't allow you to do it for, for no reason or for a trivial reason. But people didn't do that. People weren't eating mummies just because they enjoyed them. They were eating mummies because they were sick in some way. They believed it was therapeutic. And therefore, for a chole, we allow hana, shaloka derechan asan. The consumption of the mummy is considered shaloka derechan asan. And as long as you're a chole, you're allowed to do it. The Radvaz goes on and he says, you want to prove this from the story of Ravina and his daughter. Ravina wasn't eating it. His daughter wasn't eating it. They were, he, he was rubbing it on her skin. But to eat it, who said that's mutter? Says the Radvaz, no. The, the, the halacha lemaisa is, shaloka derechan asam, b'chol gavni shari. Shaloka derechan asam is mutter even to ingest something, shaloka derechan asam. As I mentioned earlier, that's how we paskin. We say that you're allowed to eat different types of medicines if you need to, even if they contain non-kosher ingredients. If you're a chola, we rely on this heter of shaloka derechan asam. And that's what the Radvaz concludes, that, that not just the rubbing it on your skin, not just making a tachboshes, not just making some kind of ointment, but even ingesting the mummy, even eating the mummy, is mutter, even though it is something that is asr bahana, it's still mutter because it's shloka derechana asam, and that is mutter, that is mutter b'makom choli, even if it's not a chole sheyesh posakana. The Radvaz goes on, he, he, he proves this from the Ran and so on, he says, Hare l'cha behedya, that, uh, that anything shloka derechana asam is mutter, and that is the Radvaz's conclusion. So so far, so, so far we've, uh, the Radvaz has said, you want to know about the Isra Achila? The Isra Achila is mutter because it's not food anymore, it's just, uh, it's just Afar Ba'alma. The Isra Hana remains, so it's still Asr Ba'ana. However, even something that's Asr Ba'ana, 
if your use of it is that's mutter, that's not deraisa, that's not malchus, and that's mutter if it's a question of choli. The people using the mummy are using it for choli, and therefore it's mutter to, to be nana, even though it's asr bahana, it's mutter to be nana, But now we get to a third isr, and that is the isr of doing business with it. Doing business is also asr, it's asr bahana. If it's Asr Bahana, I mentioned before, you can't do business with anything that, that's Dvaram HaSurim that you can't eat, but this Radva says you could eat. But there is an Isr in buying and selling things that are Asr Bahana. Actually eating it is Mutter, because that's Shalokaderach But if you buy it and sell it and profit from it and, try and do business with it, and you profit from it, so that is going to be Nana, that you're being Nana from it, so that would be, and as long as it's Asr, that's not Shalokaderach HaNasam. Buying and selling, buying and selling uh, mummies is Kederach awesome, so that should be Asr. So how is that Mutter? If it remains Asr Bahana, how is that Mutter? So now the Radvaz tells us a tremendous Chedush, and this is a Chedush that has ramifications, this is a, a point of major halachic import that has halachic ramifications far beyond this, uh, this somewhat uh, eccentric case of eating the mummies. The Radvaz tells us a great Kula which has major ramifications in contemporary times as well. The Radvaz says... The prohibition against deriving benefit from a mace only applies to human, Jewish human remains. Why would I say that? So the Radvaz says, first of all, Tosu says that. He brings a Tosus in Babakama who seems to say that, who seems to assume that. And then he says, the time, what would be the reason for this? Why would we assume that the prohibition of Hana from a mace only applies to Jews? It's a drasha. We mentioned earlier the drasha that mace Asr Bahana is derived from a Pasuk about Miriam. It says, Vatama Shah Miriam, and there's Xera Shava, that Sham Sham from Egla Rufa, the Egla Rufa is Asr Bahana, there's Nisr Hana over there. So a human being like Miriam is also Asr Bahana. Miriam was a Jewess. So Jews are Asr Bahana. Non Jewish human remains is not Asr Bahana. Says the Radvaz, I'll prove it to you, because Ilote Mahachi, if you don't accept my Kula that non Jewish remains are Mutter Bahana, it should be prohibited to derive benefit from a non-Jewish cemetery. You're not allowed to pasture animals there. Apparently this was something they did in the Radvaz's time. They pastured their animals. They wouldn't do it in a Jewish cemetery, but they did it in a non-Jewish cemetery. That should be Asr, the Radvaz says. Says the Radvaz that Halamadita, so, so therefore the Radvaz says that it is Mutter Tavhana. From a, from a non-Jew from a non-Jewish mace, halamadita de mutterless rapas bemumia, it is permitted to utilize to, to, to use a mummy for therapeutic purposes. Afilu b'derech achila, afilu b'chol ishaim basakana, umutter lisa v'litin bo. You're allowed to do business with it. Lasas paschara, umutter lehanas bekivriyakum v'tachrichav. You're allowed to derive benefit from non-Jewish graves and from shrouds. However, there is a concern of tuma. We mentioned earlier the Shaila of Tumah, the, the Radvaz agrees that there's that still an Isra of Tumah here. So, despite the fact that the Radvaz argued there's no Isra Achila, there is still an Isra Hana, but Shloka Derech Hana is Mutter, but it's, since it still has the status of a mace, it hasn't forfeited its status of a mace, it still would have the, the din of Tumah. Mago Masa for sure. Tumas Ohel, whether it can transmit Tumah by being in the same room as you, that is Machlokas Rambam and Ravid, whether a whether that, that is machlokus, whether the wh- whether there is a tumah ba'ohel, so that's machlokus. So this idea of the advance 
that a non-Jewish mace is not Asr Bahana. This has, as I, as I said, major ramifications today as well. We want to do things like tissue transplants. You want to use a cornea transplant. You want to use tissue from a mace. One of the is- skin grafts. So one of the issues is, if you take the tissue from a, from a cadaver, a mace is Asr Bahana. So if it's a question of life and death, then it's mutter. Of course it's mutter. Pikuach nefesh is doch everything. But if it's a, according to most posts, it would be mutter at least. But if it's a question of, it's not life and death, it's just quality of life, but just has some therapeutic benefit. So mace is Asr Bahana. Who said you can do it? So one of the major leniencies is to say that a, that, that a mace of a non-Jew is not Asr Bahana. So as long as the tissue comes from a non-Jew, which you can typically assume that it does in Chutzlarts, that's a major leniency. Posts can discuss all kinds of things. They discuss studying anatomy in medical school and dissecting cadavers. Is that called having Hana from a cadaver? So again, whether that's Hana or not is another question. But if that's called Hana, then it would be Asr. But again, if it's a non-Jewish cadaver, then it's Mutter. So the basic question of whether the basic question of whether the whether a whether a mace akum, a non-Jewish mace, is Asr or Mutter Bahana is a major debate. The Radvaz is the Radvaz is one of the one of the earliest poskim to discuss it. The Rabbi Bleich, Rabbi J. David Bleich, in in, in contemporary halachic problems, he notes that the that the although there are brief references to this question in earlier sources, whether a mace akum a non Jewish mace is asr bahana, the first detailed attempt to analyze this issue is in Mishnah Melech. The Mishnah Melech was dis- discussing mummies as well. He, that was one of the three tshuvas that, that I mentioned that talks about mummies, and he discusses a number of questions. Can you, can you eat the mummy? Can you have anar from the mummy? Is it metame? Is it metame? Is it metame? And one of the questions he talks about is, the, is whether a mace akum is asr bahana. So the Rabbi Black tells us the Mishnah Melech was the first person to systematically discuss it, but the Radvaz, uh, preceding the Mishnah Melech by a century, already says that, uh, that, that the reason he was matir the, the trade in mummies, it's not called tzchara be'esr hana, is because it's a meis akum, and a meis akum is not asr b'hana. The Radvaz continues, and he says, now that, we've, now that we've decided that a meis akum is not asr b'hana, then going back to the previous question, how can we use it, how can we eat it, if, it's, if there's an isra involved, now we answer that as well, it's not asr b'hana. And this is actually a better hetter, he says, in his previous hetter, that it's shloka derech so, because going back to Theriac, he says, that the that he says, he says, when it comes to theriac, there is a good, there, there is an argument to be made that it is asr bahana, despite the fact that it uh, that it has other ingredients mixed with it. The Rambam said, the Rambam says that things that have other ingredients are still asr bahana. He says, but again, maybe those who asked theriac are only asking it for a bari, but the, it was only asr madrabanan. They allowed it for a choli and sheim basakana. So the Radvaz goes back and forth, but he says that uh, he says we can go back and forth on whether. The, the first svar of whether the something that's asr bahana becomes mutter when you mix in other ingredients. However, he says midi. He says that the, even though even though the Rambam said theriac is asr because of chametz, that the it's asr because of chametz. He says maybe maybe it's only asr for someone who's healthy. Someone who's sick would have a heter because of the heter of shlokah However, he says that's academic in the context of the mummy. That's academic. The mummy we've said is mutter bahana because of what he said. akum. How do we know the mummies are not Jewish? He says mesei akum is man That's from the period of the Egyptians. I, I guess gyptium must be a, a, a term that means ancient Egypt. They came from the Egyptians of a long time ago. I mean, there were Jews in Egypt as well. Yaakov was embalmed. Yosef was embalmed. 
So just because mummies come from a long time ago, from ancient Egypt, I don't know how you know that they weren't from biblical times where the Jews were in Mitzrayim, but somehow the Radvaz feels confident in assuming that the mummies that he has are, are non-Jewish mummies. If, the, if you are about the Isra of eating human flesh, he goes back to that first var of Enakel of Ocheloso. It's like Afra Daru Mutter, the prohibition against consumption of human flesh doesn't apply because it's no longer food. So the mummy is Mutter. So the Radvaz is lenient, he, he accepts the Minog, you can eat the mummy. You can use the mummy in other ways. You can buy and sell the mummy. As long as it is a non-Jewish mummy, you are fine. And Radvaz just assumes, without really elaborating much, and says that the mummy is not Jewish. The Mishnah Melech, in his various tshuvas, discusses the question of whether we can really presume the mummies are not Jewish. And he also assumes that we can assume they're not Jewish. He says that, first of all, he says, Ruba da'al ma'akum most of the world is not Jewish. So Post can usually make this assumption that if you, find, if you find a human and you don't know the identity of the human, you have the right to assume he's non-Jewish. The Gemara tells us that or that Rukimta in certain cases, since most of the world is not Jewish, so you can assume any mummy you find is not Jewish. Furthermore, he says, Hagedhugadli, I have been informed, he says, that uh, in places where mummies were produced, Me'olam lo avrasham regal Yisrael. Jews never never crossed that corner of the globe, and therefore, again, I don't know what he means, I thought mummies were produced in ancient Egypt, where there were plenty of Jews, there were millions of Jews back then, so I'm not sure why he, the Bible says, Yaakov and Yosef were both embalmed. I don't know if he feels mummies are different from the embalming of Yaakov and Yosef, but the, but Mishlam Melech, in, in several points in his tshuva, he says that, he, that his understanding is, that the, his understanding is, that mummies were not general, were never Jewish. He says, first of all, again, he says later, Ruba da Alma is Akumninhu, Ruba, and he says, Krakasavnu, that where they make the mummies, there were, there were no Jews, and therefore the Mishlamelech is also pretty confident in the assumption that mummies are not Jewish. So, as I mentioned, the Mishlamelech has, uh, has pages and pages and pages on these questions of the mummies. With regard to the question he discusses, he discusses the question of Tumah which was not discussed by the Radvaz. So can Kohanim handle mummies? He, he gets into various questions in the laws, in, in the laws of Tumah, but he concludes that there is an Isser in handling the mummies, and a Kohen should be Machmer. Regarding the question of Isser Hana, he says, a mace is Isser Bahana. So is there an Isser Hana to derive benefit from mummies? So he discusses various questions in the Isser Hana. One of the things he talks about is that the Radvaz is Svarah, he apparently did not see the tshuva of the Radvaz, I think, but he says that you can make the same argument. It's a, it's a, it's a drasha for Miriam, so maybe it doesn't apply to non-Jews. Rablach says this is the first major discussion of this question, systematic discussion of whether the Isser of the Isser of Hanar from Amais applies to non-Jews. And we can assume mummies are non-Jews. So he discusses that question. He discusses that question at length. And then he discusses, in another tshuva, another part of the tshuva, he discusses schorah. So we discuss the Isser of schorah. There are two Isserim involved. Doing business, there are two Isserim involved. One is the Isser discussed by the Radvaz, that, it's, uh, that that's the Isser Hana, you know, that, that, you, that doing business means you're having Hana, so anything that's Isser Bahana, you certainly can't do schorah. So that the Radvaz got out of by saying that there is no Isser Hana of Meisei However, there's another Isser of schorah. 
we mentioned earlier, you're not, the Chacham told us that you're not allowed to do schara when it comes to anything that's not kosher, even if there's no Isra no. You're not allowed to do schara in Nevela. You're not allowed to do schara in a pig, even though there's no Isra no of Nevela, there's no Isra no of pigs. But you're not allowed to do schara with pigs. You're not allowed to have a business where, where you deliberately do business in non-kosher animals. Why not? Either because some, some posts can learn it's an Isra other posts can learn it's an Isidrabana, it's Ixera, the Chacham were afraid you might come to eat the, the non-kosher animals, the non-kosher food. But either way, there is an Isser in doing Schaura B'dvarim HaSurim. So even if there's no Isser Hana, even if you say Mace is Mutter B'hana, if you assume you're not allowed to eat the mummy, which again, the Radvaz says you're allowed to eat the mummy, but if you assume, but even the Radvaz only said it, B'makam uh, Choli. So if you assume that, you're, that there is an Isser in eating the mummy, then we have to worry about the Isser of doing Schaura B'dvarim HaSurim. And there's some question whether that is, or, as I said, is Daraisa or Drabanan. So the Mishnah Lamelech uh, goes on in great detail about, about the parameters of the Isra of Schara. And his conclusion is that even though the Isra of Schara is Daraisa, he says, and even Makam Suffolk, you should be Machmer, he says, we can permit doing Schara with the mummies. Why? Because it's not food, he says. Anything that's not food, the Isra of Schara and Daraisa only applies to food, he says. But something that's not food, is the Isra Shara Midaraisa doesn't apply, even though Midrabanan is still Asr Bachila, but something that's only Asr Midrabanan, the Mishnah Melech Shita at least is, the Isra Shara doesn't apply to something that's only Asr Midrabanan, and therefore there, there, there is basis to be matter the Isra of Shara when it comes to mummies, assuming there's no Isra Hana, obviously. If there's no Isra Hana, then you're left with the Isra of doing Shara Bidvaram Hasurim, and that we can be lenient if it doesn't have the status of food. Even if there are isurim, if those if even even if there are still some isurim left, if those isurim are only midrabanan, then there is basis to allow to permit the isur of schara, even though it might still be a davar ha'asur. If the isur is only asur midrabanan, then then that would be a basis according to the Mishnah Melech to allow schara bedvarim ha'asur. So the bottom line is there are four or five different isurim discussed by the poskim. There is the isur achila, humans are not kosher. The isur hana, you're not allowed to have hana from human remains, so that means, A, that could be a problem with using it for therapeutic purposes, B, that could be a problem with buying and selling it, then there is the Isra of Schara B'dvarim HaSurim, buying and selling things which are Asr, is prohibited, either Medrash or Medrabanan, and then if you're a Kohen, there's the Isra of Tumas Kohan. All these Isurim are debatable, the Radvaz doesn't discuss Tuma, but the other Isurim he held were all okay, there's no Isra Achila, it's not food, there's no Isra Hana, it's Meis Akum, there's no Isra Schara, because again, it's Mutter Bahana, because of Meisakum. Other posts came more and more Machmer. Other posts came felt that there might be an Isra Achila, there might be an Isra Hana, there might be an Isra Schara, and there might be an Isra Tumah for a Kohen as well.